So um, our speaker is it's Gray, Gray Gundecker. Mm -hmm. Gray Gundecker, and she teaches anthropology and American studies at the College of William and Mary in Virginia. She has a doctorate from Columbia in education and one from Yale in anthropology. Her research interests include literacies, material culture, and landscape, especially in the African diaspora. So um, we're really happy to have you here. And uh, we'll be looking at this work by Lucas Samaras, and it's called um, Book Number Six, Treasures of the Metropolitan. Maybe I shouldn't have even said that. No, okay. that's fine. Well, uh, when I talked to, to Ryan back and forth, he said he wanted points of view other than art people. And I confess that I used to work in the Philadelphia Art Museum and things like that. And he sort of said, well, let's forget that part. So I decided that would be a lot of fun. And so I decided that I would start with telling you what we often tell beginning anthropology students, that anthropologists pretend often to be a person from another planet or a creature from another planet encountering a strange world. And part of the reason for that is that um, if you were, in fact, dropped off in the late 19th century on Fiji, say, it wouldn't be that different. But also, when we are trying to make sense of a very familiar world, one of the strategies anthropologists use is to try to make things strange to us so that we can um, see them freshly and newly and we can think of new connections between objects in the world that wouldn't have occurred to us as, you know, if you look in a strange way at a mixing bowl, um, you're, you're thinking of its shape, you're thinking of its surfaces and things you, you are not necessarily thinking about when you're baking a cake and you want it to fulfill its, its, its function for the task at hand. So it opens your eyes a bit. And this is something I think that artists and anthropologists both have in common because often artists want to make something familiar, strange too, and, and make you think about it in certain ways to make different connections. Um, should I ask people things? For me, um, as an artist and someone who works in a museum, I look at this as an artwork. Um, would that be the first way that you would approach this? No. Um, in fact, I was thinking as you, as you were talking uh, about how you, you said we would look at one, one object. And that told me something about your culture okay. and your culture's expectations that you could look at one object at a time. But for anthropology, we, we, we really start with relationships because if you're from another planet, you, you have to figure out what something relates to. You can't just stand there all day looking at you know one spearhead or pot or something just galvanized to it. You're beginning to try to find out a, a network of relationships. So the fact that you say that we can look at it one thing at a time and that it's set off like this um, is, is, is a piece of very important cultural information. And of course, for those of you who are interested in art, you know that the relationship of objects to the rest of the world is a very contested, debated area right now. <clears throat> I just was in the gift shop and saw a book um, called something like How to Find Art All Around You. And predictably, it was in the section for kids. Um, 
that I say predictably because adults have already learned what I think is one of the messages of museums. Um, I'll stand on the other side of the prickly object in order to say this, but that they teach us how not to see the, all the wonderful things that don't make it into these places that people have made by insisting on the value and, and projecting onto the pedestal selected things. And so uh, this is a digression because the person from Mars would not have this critical take on, on art museums. Um, but uh, one of the things that I thought, based on this, this notion of context, which is really what I'm talking about, about the relational field in which anything is found, um, would stretch on out into the larger environment. And so looking at this work and, and, and being plunked in a strange culture and having been told by a native outside that the seat of government is all around me, and seeing something that would stick me, I would be very concerned that this is something that the hands of political enemies might be placed in and the book shut upon them. Um, why would near the seat of government something so physically paint? Is this to protect me from it? Well, no, another native gave me a piece of paper saying, why we ask you not to touch. It doesn't say anything about what our artworks, so-called, can do to you if you touch them. Um, so um, this, this work obviously depends on cultural knowledge that would have come from touch at some earlier part in your lives, right? Because, because the, the objects from which this is composed, now I'm pretending to be a Martian who's been here about six months. So now I've been to, to um, I don't know, G Street Fabrics or something and seen the straight pins and I've been to the hardware store. So I know that these are objects that are used, in fact, in another context for sticking one thing onto another thing. And I know that the shape of this object now is um, a, a, called a book. And I've even learned to read a little English, so I could actually figure some of that out. And I've also noticed that in our universities, we have places called literature departments that um, are filled with people who have told me that it's not easy to just read a book and know what's in there. That often you have to go through many levels of secret societies and initiations and degree programs to, to be able to speak authoritatively about what's in a book. And therefore, um, the words may be a lot like pins and prickles um, to push back people from the core knowledge of the text, or at least like a thicket that one has to go through or a thorny forest in order to get down to some of the basic meanings. And furthermore, there are institutional structures all around us and all around books. Um, my mother was a librarian. Um, she didn't know me well when I moved to Mars. Um, <laughs> anyway, she had a character that she would act out called your friendly librarian, which was, don't touch that book. Step away from the book. 
um, because so many people are protective of their domains of knowledge and their and as museums are of their objects. Oh, sure. So would you like to jump in? Well, with we have a book that we can't touch. Right. And now we know it will Doubly. Us, and it's now, yeah, now it has a vitrine over it. What is, when, uh, an, when an anthropologist sees something like this that is doubly protected, what would be an interpretation? Well, if, if this were a piece of African art or African diaspora art, that was from a ritual kind of context, um, the outer covering would probably be opaque. And it, but it would, it would be a similar thing in that there would, might be knowledge that you were only supposed to have access to if you were spiritually prepared. Um, and actually, one of the things that I've done is study adaptations of books and scripts in Africa and the diaspora. And so tying and wrapping the book um, the sacred book is something, actually that happens in many, many traditions. And um, in Judaism, there are layers of pu pu pulling back meaning that have names, which I cannot now remember, but anyone who is instructed in proper reading um, in the Midrash will know how to interpretively position themselves according to the type of reading from the surface meaning to the deepest meaning and the deepest encoding. So um, this is a fairly common thing that any uh, object that is associated with knowledge will often have mediation, layered mediation that you have to go through, the doors of the library, the check do your card, the degrees you need to go through in order to speak to what you know about it, um, which is why I read murder mysteries and not art criticism um, much. Um, but um, there's also in, in the Christian Bible, in the book of Revelation, a passage that was drawn to my attention in an African-American sermon um, but it's right there um, where John says, quotes God as saying, or the preacher said, you know, you've got to eat that book. I mean, there's a reference to eating the book, consuming the book, making the book your own. Um, there are also healers who apply the book to your body. So what I take the artist here to be doing now, I'm talking in a more like I've been here 10 years and I've been a little bit around art, would be that in addition to this mediation to get to the text, that there's a sort of warning to people about knowledge, perhaps, and its dangers. But that would just be, again, my interpretation because I haven't studied up on this work at all. But also, you know, books are made to be touched. I mean, they're made to be handled, they're made to be paged through, mm -hmm. and he's made them not, he's made it not functional. Ab well, that's right, I except that's, that it is functioning. See, now this is an interesting <laughs> thing because- It's functioning it, right now. So for an anthropologist, they would look at it as everything functions all the time. Because we had a, a curator was talking about sometimes art, the best artwork is the artwork that is the least functional. It can become more of an artwork by not having a function. Well, this is a, a to me, it would be a long-standing discourse of Western art um, that goes back to ideas like art for art's sake, that privilege a kind of abstract thought 
divorced from everyday life, um, and every other people in the world don't do that and think it's rather silly because the profundities of life um, come to you at all sorts of moments if you're spiritually prepared or intellectually prepared. Um, so it, this is something, there's, there's other things in, in, in the culture of European, we, most, most cultures around the world don't have um, interactional settings where one person stands and just talks at other people in a group either. Um, and um, again, since I do African and African diaspora stuff, uh, that's what comes to mind, that there's usually some kind of call and response. And if people were standing in, uh, say you were the, the, the warrior class and leadership of most older West African societies, and you stood as what would, we would call here attentively, and there they might call silently, it would mean that I had lost my political power because there's no, you know, comeback to me. Nobody's giving me, feeding me any strength to go back out and do what I have to do through call and response. So what's here is, is courtesy and attention. There is um, the straighter you stand, the more you're aligned with the dead and with, in, with, withdrawn from this human, and, and we actually do this sort of thing, you know, when we really dislike somebody. Um, for many of us, our manners get very, very good. So, yes, please call. Let's, pe That's let's have people do, okay, response. great. Um, so, do people have questions for, for Gray today about this? Or one? other things. Susan? I have a question. Does it um, make any difference to your explanation when you realize that it's a book from the Metropolitan Museum of Art? Well, you know what it then does? It reminds me of something when I was in high school. This is anecdotal art stuff. When I was in high school, I took art classes in a building where a little show came through at the Community Art Center. And it was on a, in the 60s, and it was on an artist who wasn't so popular then, but popular enough that a little place in Ohio would uh, have the show. And it was by a guy named Marcel Duchamp. And in the show was something, a work of art that I thought was so funny that I thought, no one's here. I think I'll take this home. Fortunately, I didn't. Called Erased. It was the, it was, what's the, Erased de Kooning or Erased? Oh, that's a Rauschenberg. Right. Okay. Yeah. Somehow it got there. Yeah. It got, there was Erased de Kooning. But there was, but, but also Duchamp had erased somebody else before de Kooning yes. erased, whatever. So this first erased one was there. So anyway, I take this into, partly into this long, um, you know, inter-artist discussion of adapting and changing the meanings of whatever it was that was the received knowledge or the received greatness of a previous artist or era in that way. Other questions? I mean, another thing that happens for me is that you can start to read this as, um, as metaphor. Um, and so, but within anthropology, can things be, just, are things read just for physical Oh, no, no, no. They no. can be read metaphorically? Absolutely. I mean, this is where you can get into different schools of thought, theories for anthropology and 
and some people would take off with metaphor right from the start. But, but I try to go to a, a, a real flat and literal level, and I just now to try to do this with the grocery store and everything else, um, in order to become more observant of the details. But um, actually when I, and, and think about relationships I wouldn't notice otherwise. So metaphor implies that you know about enough about a cultural system to know what one thing is standing for another thing or standing in for something else or suggesting something else. So it's just farther down the line in your expertise, but absolutely, and you're in this culture, so you can metaphor away. I'm in this culture, that's right. right. And I think we actually started getting into metaphor a little bit when we thought about how we changed the function of the, the book uh, and, how, and what it told us about the contents of the Although it's also opened up. Do people want to get closer and take a look at this and see if we've got other questions that might come up? I have a question. Okay. It, it appears to me that, and this could be one of these things that happens when things get moved around, but there are little pieces of thread and stuff stuck on here that I hadn't noticed. And it must have been something that he yeah. had gotten. Yeah, I see a little gold yeah, thread yeah. down there. It must have been something that he had gotten when he got them in bulk, I imagine, that some threads were just stuck in also. So he decided he wasn't going to purge it of its world-connected uh -huh. accidents completely, I guess, or else somebody um, just, some, someone in wearing curatorial mohair um, no. was. <laughs> no, our curators never wear mohair around uh, this. Okay, yeah. yes, all right. <laughs> Yeah. And just if you could speak a little louder so we can pick it up. Okay. Um, I've always thought that anthropologists would look at, at art forms and try and, and um, pull out their missing things, you know, how they made it, what that kind of contributes. Well, they absolutely do. Um, and once you know that the culture is labeling that, it that way. Mm -hmm. But art is a category like ritual or uh, healing or anything else where there are different cultural configurations of how those go together. And so you have to kind of sort out how the people in the culture would do that. I also think that, um, I mean, this is just personal. I'm not speaking for anthropology here. But um, do any of you all know any reform smokers? Um, yeah, just sort of can't stand, yeah. OK, well, I'm a reformed artist. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, until the age of 36, this was my world. And um, many of my, my anthropology co colleagues were, the, were people who would have really maybe liked to have gone into art or something. And they, they hold it a lot holier than I do. And I mean, I, I don't mean to sound like dismissive, but sometimes I feel like, oh, well, you can just make one. You know, I mean, sometimes I see art in the art for art's sake um, tradition um, fulfilling a kind of quasi-religious role um, on a pedestal. And um, what I do for my own work is, is travel around um, mostly, I, I, I've written two books, but one of them is about ancestral memory and memorials in people's yards that are made with another iconography and they're, and they're sort of out of sight. Um, 
or they may just be sitting there and you have to kind of just like this, you have to learn how familiar objects would be used in a different way, like a hubcap or a chair to show somebody's absent body. Um, most of us have an ancestor memorial of one type or another. If we have a, a photograph, um, somebody from the past or a, a relic, a spoon that somebody used, any of these things. But anyway, these, these, these blend into the world around them and, and don't have this. And then the art dealers come sometimes and take them away and call them outsider art or folk art or art art, and they go away um, into a box like this. And so now I think of um, d d chunk it up, in the world up in a little bit different way. And, and I enjoy seeing art in terms of relationships to what it, what's around it. it. It makes it much more engaging for me to kind of try to come at it freshly rather than to go back through the art uh, background I had that, that started me at this point or started me at the frame with this and just my own cultural knowledge. But that's a personal disposition. And so I would just say you get as many different kinds of anthropologists and points of view there as you probably get in the population in general. Yeah. But certain questions that I do that I think we ask, like how would it look to, for, for, to somebody who was it was totally strange to, who didn't know this context, that's always a good question um, to to sort of freshen up the world. Another thing is that when you think of like African fetish fetish sculptures, we have you know you have nails. Absolutely. Them, and then this has all these pins around it. That's, that's true. And that's actually probably why I thought maybe this work would work well with you. Well, that was something that was a good, it's a good example for me in my transition because um, when I was still in art, I went to an exhibition um, in New York uh, called Primitivism and, and um, got very upset but I couldn't tell why. And um, one of the, the, the works that Ryan is, is alluding to was there. And um, these are, the, 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 the most famous ones are made by um, Congo people um, who also are the ancestors of uh, one third of the people enslaved in the Americas. And um, these, if you want to read about them, you can read Robert Ferris Thompson or some other people, but they usually stand in a stance like this with the head coming out very assertively, hands on hips, from which our word akimbo comes, kikongo, and then the nails are driven in the body. Well, the nails are driven in the body as part of um, resolving disputes. And so the idea is there, a legal one, that Nkizian Kandi, with his sacred medicines inside him, is strong enough to take into himself the negativity of a whole lot of people who've been fighting with each other. So once the dispute is mediated at the crossroads, the nail that marks the end of the dispute is driven into him and the animosities are parked in his body, and his strength will come after you in the night if you mess up. 
and you start to quibble. Oh, they just did kill that chicken. You know, then, then no, it's got to stop there. So, so, so maybe he's making the catalog into, this is a, a catalog from the Met, maybe he's making this as a, as a place of contention, a place of... It sure does. That's a, that looks great to me. That looks great to me. All those pointy words coming back and forth. That's what, that's what I've heard about the Met. I don't know about you. <laughs> Behind the scenes. I think it means this. No, I think it means that. That's, that's, a great, that's, that's a great insight. Other interpretations or other questions for Gray or things you want to bring up? Feel free. Call and response. <laughs> Well, it's, inter ahead. it's interesting that it's made out of gold, <laughs> or looking. It's, 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 it's kind of, yeah, like metal. No, no, no. But yeah. I mean, but it gives that. So I think you could also read it as an indictment uh, against uh, uh, pretentious, <laughs> mm. shiny gold, whatever. I think of the nails. It, it's nails. It's, it's silvery, yeah, no, sparkly, nails, yeah. I have a question. I think about King Midas, you know, where yeah. you, oh, yeah. you touch turns to gold and then your most precious people in your life. Yeah. How did he get the Met to let him have even one book? Well, I think he probably, it must have been bought or thrown out or something. Uh -huh. This is what happens if you give stuff that's deaccessioned. It may turn into art again. Interesting. Yeah, this is just the standard Mets catalog of oh, the Oh, it's not like... It's not a real treasure. I mean, uh, it's not, okay. It's their treasures that are for the I get it. Yeah. Well, didn't somebody else um, about 20 years ago sort of melt one of those down into water? I think I went, you know, I think people have been dissolving as well as... Um, and chewing up art books, oh, yes, or, yes other things, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it may be interesting to know what uh, book number six covered in terms of if that was any particular volume uh -huh. that he picked on purpose. I, I think book number six is a series of these, yeah. and so it's not a series of that, the, cat, the catalog itself, but a series of these that he's done. He does a, he works oh, a lot. Oh, of, okay. Yeah. Oh, it's not anything it's a series to do with the, the, the objects of yeah. The, he, he works in a lot of series. He does an enormous uh. amount of self-portraits also, which is series after series. So he does a lot of things in succession. And I think mm -hmm. one of the things you brought up earlier, which makes it difficult, is we're looking at one object. And a lot of times I find this with artists' work. If we see a series of it, we have a better understanding of the trajectory of what they're exploring. And this, we have, it's, they're mysterious because they're kind of taken out of the stream of the, of the, the artist's kind of working process. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, now I... I looked at the date, and I mean, this 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 was an era of making strange. It was in 1962, and so you get how winter the giant tomato suit cans made strange around yeah, that time, same, and same time, yeah. um, all sorts of other objects. Uh, Oldenburg's giant safety pin. Uh, no, yeah. what do you call them? Clothes pins. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that. Too, that, that becomes something else, uh, all going back to things like Duchamp's um, urinal and other objects that, the bicycle wheel that is on a stool that, that suddenly uh, has these qualities of um, abstract art that are really not noticeable 
or thought about much when, when the art is, the, the thing is not art. Is there such a thing as abstract art in other cultures besides uh, Western European? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, in the sense that people, um, if abstraction is reducing away inessentials in relation to something that somebody thinks is more essential, then when you, when you look at African sculpture, for example, then it is uh, abstract because it shows people the essential qualities of personness usually for the culture and the type of art that it is. So if you look at an African mass, there's a collection of masks in the room where I teach. And so um, there are two that are, are basically a simple oval with eyes. But for one of them, you can see the whites of the eyes all the way around. And, and this, so this is one that is abstracting to the bare essential that there's so much spirit in the head that it's pushing out. And then another one where the eyelids are drooped. And this is a mask that someone would wear while rendering judgment. So they would show that they were very cool um, and deliberative. So that seems to be very much like the kind of abstracting that goes on in Western culture. It's just that I don't think that um, movements and an art market exists in the same way so that one type of art, the, the, the abstracting is, t is tied to other forms of cultural connections rather than, well, let's, like when I was, you know, an art, when I went to a college where everyone who was on the faculty did color field painting. Um, so they all painted colored stripes and we looked at people's colored stripes and we looked at poured paint. And this was what everybody was doing then who was in this little niche of people. And the art historians who came, came and told us about how this continued right from Cezanne to Morris Lewis and on and on. And so there was the same thing, actually, that there would be in another culture, but in a different way. There was a whole realm of talk that was circulating to help people also get the key relationships aligned between the work of art and the rest of the world. So you could say that, that, that you, could, you could label that line of talk around religion or magic or business or, or um, um, whatever. But here it's around what counts as art at a given time, a lot of the time, in a marketplace. Go ahead. Just a little well, I just had a thought that, you know, and you said some of this before, that well, when something is in a book and it's a written word, it becomes the truth are very important. And once it's in the Metropolitan Catalog, it's even more important. And once it's in a vitrine in a museum, boy, I mean, that's, it's really made it. And I was thinking of our pedestals downstairs with the figures and the historical, and the, and the lower, in the lower, lo in the lower lobby, you know, the, you know, totally, give me the artist, the pedestals in the lower lobby would be, from a shoot, with the figures and, yeah. the, and his comment on historical um, historical uh, monuments. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Okay, and how that changes history, uh -huh. and how these change history, uh -huh. and it's just a terrific tie-in 
uh, because I think that they are commenting in a similar way. Uh -huh. um, and because then he's putting pins in them, and uh, Thomas Shute is taking pictures of those satirical characters and putting them on the wall. One of the um, consequences of a world of discourse of, of art about art supporting art for art's sake is that artists have to, one way or another, take on the history of art as their subject matter or find a way as some um, artists who do installations and performance art and other things do to try to bust back out into a set of leakages back out to the world. But um, once that's established, as you said, then it spawns multiple works that are all interrogating the art itself through other works of art. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me laugh. It sounds ridiculous. But it's true. I mean, it's true. That's what we do. That's what this is about, actually, um, that we, we are constantly building a, a a, a, a cultural history, a very small cultural history around these objects. And um, anyway, I feel like that you've helped broaden the ways that we can talk about the artwork. I don't know about others. Um, Thanks. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming.